Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and as always, I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, hello everyone all over the world. It's been a while since I've been here on the airwaves. I do apologize. Uh, yeah, just had a bit on, um, and I continue to, but I saw a window in the schedule where I could hop in here and do you a episode of the News of the Damned. And so we're going to use this time and we're going to talk about some of the stuff that's going on around the world. I won't bore you too much about what's going on here at Tower Studios. But yeah, basically, I've just got very full hands right now doing some things for loved ones. And yeah, so I have to t I have to choose the people first who have always been there for me. Trust me, folks, I do feel bad that I can't be pumping out regular shows to you, and you do all mean the world to me, and all the people who have taken the time to check in and go, hey, JT, I do hope you're okay. John in Western Australia, you and your family, you've had your own struggles with illness, and uh, other great chapter presidents, Trey in Oregon, Mark in Texas, and all the other ones out there, all the other people who have taken the time to check in. And just make sure that I'm okay. Uh, look, I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Because it just goes to show that this isn't just me with my tinfoil hat cranking out opinions on the airwaves. Uh, you folks really care. And trust me, it means the world to me. All of you listening all over the world taking the time while I've been off the air from India and Nepal to Jersey and the UK and the US, of course. All over the world, Africa, South America, Paraguay, Uruguay, Brazil, Argentina, all over Africa, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, all the different countries there who have taken the time to listen. And of course, my very close compatriots here in New Zealand and Australia, not too far away. Look, it, it, it does mean the world to me that you continue to listen and take the time to check up on me. It does mean a lot. And again, for those of you that are old enough to know or listen to him a bit, this is not the whole Art Bell mysterious, oh, I might have to go off the airwaves thing. It's not that at all. It's just I've had some family things to deal with that aren't my own, so I don't want to discuss them on air if that makes sense. Um... I'm an open book, but I don't like to air everyone else's laundry if unless I've got the okay to do so. So yeah, just um yeah, just know that I'm as good as I can be, very busy. I have started getting a little bit sick in the last couple of days. Um uh Vi has been sick, so I've been nursing her and I knew sooner or later I was gonna get it. So tonight we're having a very rare drink here in studio. I'm keeping my vitamin C levels up. And having a couple of screwdrivers. For those of you that don't know, that's uh, vodka and orange juice. So if you want to have a drink along, by all means, go for it. But uh, I promise I won't be too tipsy that you won't be able to understand the stuff that I cover tonight. So aside from that, we're not going to get too much into depth as we very rarely do, uh, considering talking about politics and that. But for those of you all over the world that are doing it hard with the it continued increase prices in food and uh, fuel, gasoline or petrol, depending on where you are, and everything else. Um, trust me, uh, we're struggling here in New Zealand as well. So I do feel for you, and I hope that you're all making it through as best as you can. It's uh, it's pretty heavy here. I mean, we're up over three dollars twenty, roughly, for the lowest grade of gasoline from the U.S. or petrol here. So 3.20 a liter, three and a half liters in a gallon. So you do the math. You're talking about, yeah, uh, 3.5 times 3.20. So $11.20 a gallon, basically. Uh, when you take into account the difference in the exchange rate with the U.S., you're still probably about $7, $8 a gallon. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty nuts here. I know the U.K. is doing it hard as well. And I know that there are countries where what might not seem like a lot, like let's say a 20 cent rise a gallon in, in, in gas in some of the countries in the developing countries. I mean, that can be the difference between people being able to eat and not. So um I know it's an imperfect thing, fossil fuels and running cars on gasoline, but uh, the reality is we don't have a lot of other choices right now in the modern world. Yes, you can walk. Yes, you can ride horses, but 
in only certain places and only so far. So let's hope that it comes back down in the near future. Again, the markets, there's a lot of market chaos right now, things like the U.S. stock market and all over the world. So like I say, the, the bottom line here is that I do hope you out there in the audience, all my friends and people who care, I hope that it's as painless for you as it can be right now. There's been a lot going on as far as the stuff we normally cover, so I do apologize. I have not got on the air and covered it for you, but we're going to change a bit of that tonight. As far as Betty and Barney Hill, I've had the next episode written and sitting on the desk for well over a month. But yeah, uh, basically when an emergency type thing pops up, sometimes you've just got to take care of that emergency type thing. So it is what it is. And we are where we are. But I'm here tonight and I'm here with you. So let's enjoy our time together, my friends. So without further ado, we're not going to go into depth with all the normal stuff. Like I say, if you want to follow further along on the show, I haven't been on Instagram or Facebook for a while, but that's the best place. Go and find me at the Paranormal Sun on Instagram, the underscore paranormal underscore sun, or the Facebook group. Feel free to uh, send an invite and I'll uh, welcome you in with open arms. And like I say, aside from that, you can go to the paranormalsun.com. So without further ado, though, folks, we are going to get into this episode of the News of the Damned. Now, for those of you who don't know what the News of the Damned is, Charles Fort was a gentleman in the early 20th century who covered all these kind of things that we're so fascinated by. Strange lights in the sky, cryptids, uh, sea monsters, disappearing people, things like this. Well, Charles Fort referred to anything that was ignored by science as damned data. Therefore, when we cover these subjects here on the Paranormal Sun, it is forever known as the news, the news of the damned. Okay, this first one here, I think that Trey in Oregon sent it to me, and I'd rather err on the side of caution, so thank you, Trey. I do have several of yours that you sent me at the end, and if ever there was a time to send me some articles to cover over, it was perfect timing because it really helped me kind of streamline this and get it recorded and out to you. So this one is from the APnews.com, and as always, for those of you who don't know, if you go into the show notes, there's always a link to each article. And this first one is called, well, it's titled, sorry, not called, NASA Launches Study of UFOs Despite Reputational Risk. And this is from Marcia Dunn, and it was from June the 10th. So, Cape Canaveral, Florida, AP. So that's Associated Press, for those of you that don't know. NASA is launching a study of UFOs as part of a new push towards high-risk, high-impact science. The Space Agency announced Thursday that it's setting up an independent team to see how much information is publicly available on the matter and how much more is needed to understand the unexplained sightings. The experts will also consider how best to use all this information in the future. NASA's science mission chief, Thomas Zurbuchen, acknowledged the traditional science community may see NASA as kind of selling out by venturing into this controversial topic, but he strongly disagrees. Well, yeah, I don't think you're selling out. I think you're covering your bases. We are not shying away from reputational risk, which, well, if this is true, I'm glad. Zurbuchen said during a National Academy of Sciences webcast, Our strong belief is that the biggest challenge of these phenomena is that is that it's a data-poor field. NASA considers this is a first step in trying to explain mysterious sightings in the sky, known as UAPs or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And for decades and decades, longer than most of us have been alive, it's always been known as UFOs. But thanks to the CIA and everyone else constantly calling everyone who saw something in the sky they couldn't explain, an idiot, a redneck, an alcoholic, inbred, or anything else hallucinating, smoking marijuana, we've got to change it to UAPs. So, yeah, just remember that, that you're part of the same government, NASA, that's basically ruined the term UFOs. The study will begin this fall and last nine months, costing no more than $100,000. They can hire me for a hundred grand if they want, and I could probably do a pretty good case study, I'd say. 
It will be entirely open with no classified military data used. Yeah, no shock there. NASA said the team will be led by astrophysicist David Spurgle, president of the Simmons Foundation for Advancing Scientific Research. In a news conference, Spurgle said that only preconceived notion going into the study is that the UAPs will likely have multiple explanations. We have to approach all of these questions with a sense of humility, Spurgle said. I spent most of my career as a, cosmo uh, as a cosmologist. I almost said cosmetologist. I can tell you we don't know what makes up 95% of the universe, so there are things we don't understand. Now look, all of that sounds really good. Hey, you know that I am on that side of the ledger. I believe that there's a lot of things in the universe that we don't understand, much less than human hubris would lead you to believe. But yeah, <laughs> I've seen this done much better at a much higher level before with things like Blue Book and Grudge and Sign and all these other government case studies and the huge, oh, this huge disclosure we're going to have to, you know, we're going to tell Congress what's going on. And as usual, nothing. Millions spent. Uh, nothing disclosed. Now, it doesn't mean that nothing was found. It means that nothing was disclosed to the people who are paying the bill, the taxpayers. We can't let them know what's going on. So, yeah, look, I will err on the size of, side of being positive and hoping that something comes out of this. But I don't have a lot of faith in NASA spending a hundred grand over nine months and releasing much that hasn't already been released. I just hope they don't try and debunk it even more and blame everything on some comets or uh, COVID people being so stigmatized by COVID that once they go outside, they start seeing UFOs. You get what I'm saying. Let's just hope it's not another BS excuse to explain things away. But like I say, look, I'll, I'll stay positive. I don't know who this gentleman is, so I'm not going to besmirch him, David Spurgle. So I'm not going to take a not going to take a pot shot at him when I don't know who he is. He could be very much a person who's going to look at the data. But again, so many times I've heard, oh yeah, we're going to look at this uh, objectively and we're going to look at this with an open mind and straight away. Oh no, it's all BS. Why? Oh, because we would know because we're scientists and we would know if this, if there was anything to this. Again, human hubris is just, yeah. I remember, I don't know about you folks, but back in history class and since then, because I love reading about history, I remember there was a group in the 12, 13, 14, 1500s in Europe called the Vatican, and they burnt people at the stake when they said, oh no, uh, things are different than you believe. And they said, no, 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 we would know because we're the church. We're God's word on earth. So what I'm getting at, folks, I'm not, again, I'm not singling out the Vatican. I'm just using it as an example. We've heard so many times we would know if it was this or we would know that human hubris BS has just got to be put into check. Just take it out of fifth gear, go down into low and realize that there's probably a hell of a lot in this universe you don't know about. All right. And just do us all a favor and stop talking from on high like, you know, everything that's ever happened in the history of the universe. Now, I've got listeners out there who I know that think that I'm a bit naive and that Oh, well, no, no, uh, you don't understand science. Have I ever been a doctorate or PhD? No. But have I also ever been indoctrinated at a university with people telling me how to think? No, I haven't. So I guess it's a double-edged sword. I'm not an idiot. I, I think that anyone who's listened to this show by now would realize that I'm fairly intelligent. Not as intelligent as I could have been, probably, in my life, but I mean, I'm no dummy. So... Yeah, uh, it, it's a double-edged sword. You start talking about these people who have got all these letters after their names. Again, I'm not saying they're not intelligent, but they get a preconceived notion that this must be true because this is what we believe. This is what we've been taught. This is what Yale or Harvard or or whatever college tells us, MIT, Cambridge, what whatever it is all over the world. This This person must know better. Uh, look, do I think that J. Allen Hynek was right about everything? No. Do I think that Jacques Vallée is right about everything? No. So what I'm saying is, I don't blindly believe that anyone has got all the answers. I just don't. It's just my personal opinion, and I'm welcome to that. It's the same 
to you folks out there in the audience that believe science has explained everything. Hey, great. That's great. But uh, I don't buy it for a minute. I mean, look, a hundred years ago, we were just barely starting to fly planes, okay? And 150 years ago, there were lots of people that believed that if you went more than 20 or 30 miles an hour, that people would die because our hearts couldn't handle the speed and we couldn't breathe properly. So take it for what it is. In 100 years, I personally have no doubt that our descendants are going to look back at how we are now and say they were so ignorant. There was so much they didn't know. They didn't understand. Okay. So again, that's just my personal opinion. But anyone who goes around wearing the hat of authority that I know everything, myself included, because trust me, I don't and I don't presume to. I've got my opinions, but it doesn't mean they can't change. Anyone who goes around with the high horse hat on saying, I know everything and science has explained everything. Yeah, buddy, <laughs> just go and sit on the bench and, and, and wait a little while and, and wait and see when something else uh, comes along that science hasn't explained or science got wrong. Because it happens all the time. All right, so enough of me and my bashing academia, which you know I love to do. But again, it's it's not academia itself. It's anyone who has got the attitude that we know everything and we have solved 99% of the universe's mysteries because we haven't. But that's just the reality in my eyes and in many other people's eyes. Human hubris is something that I don't have a hell of a lot of time for. No problem being proud and, and seeing how far we've come. I fully respect that. But to act like we have conquered all of the universe's mysteries, or even a tenth of all the universe's mysteries, or even a hundredth, you're dreaming. You're dreaming, mate. You're dreaming. All right. So that's just that's just my little opinion. And I'm going to continue to believe it until somebody comes down here from wherever and says oh yeah you folks you've got it all figured out you were right all along and as you know folks i do try and follow up on stories that we've covered in the past whenever i do see them or if someone points it out to me and this one we've covered in the past but again we've got an update for you so this is from coast to coast am.com now i'm sure some of you will remember the civil war treasure hunters, the gold hunters that were looking for the gold in Pennsylvania, and they claimed that the FBI stole it out from underneath them. So this one is titled Treasure Hunters Spar with FBI Over Videos from Civil War Gold Dig. So it says a pair of treasure hunters' legal battles with the FBI over a dig for lost Civil War gold has intensified as the duo now allege that the federal government has been underhanded with regards to videos purportedly taken during the contentious excavation. For the last four years, Dennis and Ken Parada have been seeking answers regarding a 2018 FBI search of a spot in a Pennsylvania state park where they believe a cache of gold bars were buried after vanishing during the chaos at the close of the Civil War. The federal government insists that no riches were found as a result of the dig, but the treasure hunters find this to be highly doubtful and have doggedly pursued the matter in the hopes of confirming their suspicions. The latest development in the wrangling between the two parties came about on Friday when the Paradas and their attorney reportedly submitted a new legal filing which contains a rather explosive allegation and a remarkable piece of evidence that seemingly confirms their accusation. Specifically, the treasure hunters note that the FBI originally claimed that it had 17 videos from the dig, but when ordered to turn over the footage, that number inexplicably dropped to only four. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you said we had, I don't know, five, and now we only have four. Or it's not like you said 27 and they had 17. 17 to four, I'd say something dodgy is up. When that material was released, it turned out to be a handful of videos that had been submitted to the Paradas to the federal government prior to the excavation, and the FBI asserts that this is all of the available footage pertaining to the case. Uh, FBI would never lie about anything, would they, folks? However, in their new legal filing, the Paradas include a shocking photograph that was taken on the day of the dig by way of a hidden game camera that the treasure hunters had stationed near the site. In the image, an FBI agent can be seen with a video camera, which the father and son duo contend is proof that the federal government was either being dishonest in their claim and that there are or in their claim that there are no videos from the excavation, or they illegally destroyed the material in an effort to circumvent the FOIA disclosure requirements. 
As a result, the Paradas are asking a judge to pay a portion of their legal fees regarding the dis dispute over the video and to sanction the FBI for its bad faith conduct. Additionally, the treasure hunters have requested the ability to dis to depose, sorry, I was going to say dispose, but the ability to depose three FBI officials, including the agent pictured with the video camera, who they suspect would be able to provide answers regarding how much footage was produced during the dig and what became of it. While getting to the bottom of that particular puzzle may not necessarily solve the larger mystery of whether or not the FBI found the lost gold, proving that the federal government covered up the circumstances surrounding the video would certainly strengthen the treasure hunter's argument that they have been kept in the dark as to what was really recovered during the dig four years ago. Okay, here's my thoughts on it. Uh, government agencies, the bigger they get and the more power they have, the more arrogant they act. This is particularly true in the U.S. because the U.S. has, I don't know for sure how you would uh, describe it, but I'd say definitely the U.S. has got one of the most archaic and overblown governmental structures in the world as far as agencies and manpower and powers to do what they want. Now, yes, you can argue places like Turkey or Russia where you kind of got a one-man government. They've got more power, but I mean the agencies themselves, not El Presidente. So would I be shocked if this comes out that they basically stole this gold and screwed over these guys? No, I wouldn't be shocked at all because I think it's happened time and time immemorial. I think that the U.S., you go back further to the U.K. or England, you go back to France, you go back to Nazi Germany, you go back to Imperial Japan. I think that all of these very powerful countries at one point or another have done things like this in the past. And I think that it is part and parcel of the government wheels that if you can get away with something like this, you get away with it. I mean, let's look at, I, I can't remember what the law is called off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm sure those of you in the U.S. would know this. So in the U.S. now, in many states, if you pull someone over and they have cash, so let's say I'm going to buy a car or whatever. Let's say I'm going to buy, um, not a house, but let's say I'm going to buy a trailer, right, for, for a pickup truck or something like that. If I get pulled over by the police and I have a few thousand dollars in cash, it doesn't matter what my reasoning is. It's up to me to prove that that money wasn't drug money and that I have a right to the money. This is ridiculous, okay? I know the whole thoughts behind it is, oh, well, you know, drug dealers, we've got to protect people from drug dealers. We have all seen how the war on drugs has failed. Drugs won the war on drugs, okay? That's number one, the bottom line. Number two, you hear these stories and see proof of different police departments taking money from law-abiding citizens that have done nothing wrong other than been pulled over by a corrupt police force on a certain day and robbed, basically, just like back... We've, we've almost all heard the story of Robin Hood, and many of you grew up watching the cartoon version from Disney of the Sheriff of Nottingham robbing people. That's how I picture this, because the reality is this is what happens. They pull you over, they take your money, you must prove it's your money and you had a right to it, which is, again, this is just ridiculous. We're, we move back in many places to like 13th century feudal law in the U.S. It's like, oh, now you must prove I've got a job. I saved the money. I took the money out. I want to buy a car. Like, you shouldn't, the, the police should have to prove that that money was proceeds of crime, meaning you earned it in a criminal aspect or you were going to use it in a criminal aspect. Versus the other way around. It's like we have got this stuff back to front. And the governments and agencies in many countries, not just the U.S., but the U.S. is the most glaring example because, number one, it's one of the largest countries in the world, definitely the largest economy. And we hear more stories like this, but it's it's just ridiculous to me that these agencies just get away with whatever they want and they do what they want and when people try to challenge them they must either be liars or they made it up or they must be drug addicts or it's just ridiculous so again we'll see what comes out of this unfortunately i don't think they'll get much out of it 
if I was the FBI, I would pay those legal fees and get this out of the news because it just continues to circulate in the news. Now, I'm sure there might be some people out there listening who are going to go, oh, well, JT, you don't know all the ins and outs of the case. You're right, I don't. I only know what I've read. And I don't sit there on CNN or um, I know they wouldn't cover it probably anyway, but I don't sit online digging into every court case, every piece of evidentiary stuff presented or whatever. But the reality is, if you're the U.S. government, and in this case, that particular agency, and you got nothing to hide, then release the footage. Why would you not release the footage unless there's something up? And again, you go from 17 pieces of footage to four, and all four were provided by the person who is pursuing legal action against the FBI. So none of it is the FBI's own footage. So yeah, to me, this just, yeah, there's something rotten in, not in Denmark, there's something rotten in DC in this case. So we shall see. Let's just try and stay positive, I guess, and hope that maybe this will come out. But yeah, this kind of stuff, folks, this just goes to show me that there are certain entities in this world, and what I mean is not individual people, but there are certain organizations that still have got the golden card, the get-out-of-jail-free card from Monopoly that do what they want and act with impunity and feel that they are above the law, which to me is just ridiculous. If you've got, if you got this footage, produce this footage if you've done nothing wrong. If you don't have this footage, you better damn well be able to explain why you don't have this footage because this is four years old. This is not 50 years old or from World War II. For goodness sakes, this is a few years old. If you've done nothing wrong, present the video footage. Very simple. I mean, you're in a court of law. This is not the court of public opinion. This is a case against you. You must produce this stuff. Right. So on to the next, which is also from Coast to Coast AM. And I know I've got listeners in Malaysia, so this goes out to my listeners in Malaysia. This one says, tenants of Malaysian apartment complex cry foul over claims site is haunted. And I've heard quite a few stories about haunted homes and places in Malaysia. And I've covered a few of those stories here before. So this one says, dozens of people who live in a Malaysian apartment complex took to the streets to decry claims that their building is haunted. According to a local media report, the very strange protest occurred this past Saturday when over 100 tenants from the Amber Court Apartments in Kuala Lumpur, which is the capital, gathered in front of the site and spoke out against rumors of paranormal activity that, they lament, have ruined the reputation of their residents. Declaring that the allegations are baseless, Dr. Siri Dr. K.K. Chai, who heads the company which manages the complex, went on to insist that none of us has ever seen a ghost let alone been disturbed by supernatural activity. Aggravated residents say that the YouTube content creators are to blame for the site having developed a reputation for being haunted, as there are multiple videos wherein purported paranormal investigators and alleged mystics assert that the apartment complex is rife with spirits. Some of them claim to be so-called so Sifu, who can get rid of ghosts but at a price, explained Chai. While spooky stories have swirled around the site for decades, it is only in recent years that the building has become something of a paranormal hotspot due to all of the attention it has received online. As a result, the irritated tenants have finally decided to speak out about the situation as the widespread stories have caused the value of their apartments to plummet. These residents will no longer tolerate such videos and claims, local official Dotuk Siri Michael Chong said at a press conference held on Wednesday. They will take legal action. It remains to be seen whether their collective outcry will result in their complex shedding its haunted reputation, or if the publicity surrounding their protest will cause even more people to think that there are ghosts residing in the building. Okay, they covered it over pretty well there, because I was going to explain why you wouldn't want to be thought of as haunted. And folks, you know, we've covered this in a show with the awesome Lisa Houtman the Realtor, where we talked about haunted houses. If you haven't checked that show out, go back and check it out. It was released um, around October, November, around Halloween. And it is very interesting that there are certain countries, Malaysia is one of them, 
And Westerners tend to say superstitious. I would say more open to the thoughts that we may have spirits. There may be people here after they pass on in a physical sense. But you do hear stories about this, as I told you, in Hong Kong on that episode. And in Hong Kong, there are actually listings for homes that are purportedly haunted. But I get what they're saying that there are it, it's I mean, you've seen or heard some of these stories like the Pied Piper of Hamlin, who's kind of like, yeah, I'll get rid of your rats. Uh, pay me to get rid of your rats. This is the same kind of thing. Pay me to get rid of your ghosts. And there are people who might think you're gullible and would say, well, get rid of my ghosts and I don't have any ghosts and you make money for nothing. Yeah, I, I totally get that. But there are claims here, again, that they say go back decades. So YouTube's only been around, what, not even 20 years? So how do you explain those older cases? That's my whole point. And again, it, yeah, it's the same. I mean, I wouldn't want somebody saying that my property was um, uh, built on an Indian burial ground or something like that, of course, because it's potentially it's going to drive down the price. But at the same time, where there's smoke, there's fire a little bit. Maybe there's nothing to this. Maybe there has, it, there's nothing. Maybe somebody just made up the story. But yeah, I, I do find it interesting that these people are that upset. But again, yeah, hey, if my property value dropped 20 or 30 or 40 percent, whatever it is, uh, and I was thinking about that as my financial nest egg, I'd probably be pretty pissed off too, if I'm being honest. So yeah, interesting story there out of Malaysia. Now, this one hits very close to home. and. I hadn't heard about it until now. So, folks, uh, this one says strange spiral lights seen over New Zealand. Yeah, interesting. And I was wondering why I missed it, because I do poke my head outside quite a bit. I don't follow the nightly news every night, but I do kind of pay attention now and again. But I know the reason now why, and we will cover it over as we scroll down. So this is just from a couple days ago from the 20th of June. And it says, strange spirals of blue lights in the New Zealand sky left people baffled this past Sunday night. It looked like an enormous spiral galaxy just hanging there in the sky and slowly just drifting across. Quite an eerie feeling, said witness Al uh, Alastair Burns, as reported in The Guardian, which is a UK paper. Some of the initial theories posted on social media include an alien spaceship and even a wormhole leading to another galaxy. Rather than anything otherworldly, the explanation appears to be that the weird lights were caused by propellant ejection from the Global Star Satellite launched via a SpaceX rocket, which leaves a vapor trail. The eerie lights brought back memories of the bizarre spiral lights seen over Norway in 2009, which were said to be due to a failed Russian missile. And yes, looking at this, there is a photo here. That's what it reminds me of. Now I'm just going to click very quickly. You're going to get a bit of a bonus here because we're going to click on this article and see what the Guardian has to say, just roughly here. Okay, so the guy who saw it, this Alastair Burns, he's in uh, Rakiora or Stewart Island, which is way off the southern tip of South Island, so very far from me, my friends. I am about 80% north of the country, in, in, I'm about in the top 20% of the country, if that makes sense. And this is in the very, very opposite end of the country. So that's why I wouldn't have seen it probably even if I was looking for it. So Sunday night, which was, um, okay, so that was over this last weekend. So it says, as soon as we actually went outside, it was very obvious what it was he was referring to, Burns said. Okay, I'm just... So he got a text from a friend, go outside and look at the sky. He saw a huge blue spiral of light amid the darkness. It looked like an enormous spiral galaxy just hanging there in the sky. And then he said he took a few photos with his phone. The country's stargazing and amateur astronomy social media groups lit up with people posting photographs and questions about the phenomenon, which was visible from most of the South Island. So yeah, out of luck up here, folks, even if I would have went to look for it. From UFOs to foreign rockets to commercial light displays. Premonition from an orbital black hole, said one st stargazer. Aliens added again, commented another. So, let's just say that this was said rocket. It would make sense to me. I'm pretty sure they launched those rockets out of South Island, but maybe it is up here in North Island. 
I don't pay that much attention to it, to tell you the truth. Just trying to see here. No, it says they launched it from Cape Canaveral in Florida, which is a bit weird to me, because if it was that high up in the atmosphere, we should be able to see it from more than just South Island. I thought it was here in New Zealand that it was launched. So, yeah, interesting one nonetheless. I'll keep an eye out if I see anything else, if there is another explanation posited, etc., etc. But yeah, by all means, go and check out the photos if you'd like to see it. Um, I'm glad that they did provide some photos here. I definitely didn't see that, folks, when I looked up at the night sky. And I am outside pretty much every night at least once or twice. So the next one here is from Newsweek. And this is from our friend and chapter president in Oregon, Trey. And this one says, Milky Way could host over 42,000 alien civilizations, scientists estimate. And yeah, from the numbers that I've heard over the years, easily 100,000 is on the low end. So yeah, that number is well, well within the tolerance of what I have heard in the past. I'm going to read this one and I'm going to read the next article and then I'm going to give you my commentary. So it's going to, I'm going to hold it together. Oh, sorry. Let me just move this over. I've got them out of order, folks. So I do apologize. There's actually three and I've just clicked on the wrong link first. Scientists have used probability simulations to come to an estimate over the number of alien civilizations that may exist in our Milky Way galaxy. And the number they've arrived at is pretty specific. 42,777, give or take a few hundred. The value was calculated by researchers Wenji Song and He Gao from the Department of Astronomy at Beijing Normal University in China, who used something called a Monte Carlo simulation, a mathematical technique used to estimate possible outcomes of an uncertain event to come to their conclusion, undoubtedly named Monte Carlo after the Monte Carlo Casino, which is world famous and gambling, roulette wheel, etc. That's something that would be an uncertain event. Which number is it going to land on? Scientists have attempted to calculate the number of alien civilizations that might exist in our galaxy before. Most notable among these was Frank Drake. That's who I was thinking of. The astronomer who lends his name to the Drake equation that attempts to do, do this using factors such as average rate of star formation, the fraction of stars with planetary systems, the fraction of such planets which could host life, and so on. The problem with the Drake equation and other calculations to estimate the likelihood of alien life is that there are so many uncertainties in the above factors, no doubt. One of which being that we've never traveled outside of our own solar system. We're just barely getting to the edge now. Thus, models are based on reasonable assumptions that might or might not produce plausible predictions about alien life. The Drake equation goes back to the 1960s. Since then, we have learned a great deal more about the cosmos, including the observation of thousands of exoplanets, planets outside the solar system. So, folks, when I was in school, we were told there's no proof that there are planets outside of the solar system. They they were saying it's possible, but they didn't. Back then, it wasn't even a, we're sure they're there, but we haven't seen them yet. And it was very much underlined that there's no life outside of earth uh, so yeah i've seen one proven catastrophically wrong and i'm waiting to see the other proven wrong which hopefully will be before my life ends so using up-to-date information song and gao simulated star formations in our galaxy taking into account metallic <laughs> metallicity okay so yeah so i'm guessing that's the amount of metallics in a star or planet and mass the probability of terrestrial planets forming in stars' habitable zones, and the probability of life emerging and eventually becoming advanced enough to communicate with Earth. Crucially, the astronomers also took into account the timescales involved in order to come to a conclusion on how long we as a species would need to survive in order to discover alien signals. Their work yielded two main results, an optimistic one and a pessimistic one. We're, hey, we love pessimism. In the optimistic situation, the researchers suggested the aforementioned 42,777 communicating extraterrestrial intelligent civilizations. So that's the optimistic one. For SETIs with an error margin of plus 267 and minus 369. And they would need to survive 2,000 years on average to communicate with us. In the pessimistic situation, the researchers said there could be as few as 111 SETIs 
and they would need to survive for almost 1 million years on average to communicate with us. Song and Gao say their, mer their work may shed some light on the Fermi Paradox, which asks why humans have not received any signals from alien life despite estimates of their existence. The reasons why we have not received a signal may be that the communication lifetime of humans is not long enough at present, the study reads. However, it has been proposed that the lifetime of civilizations is very likely self-limiting due to many potential disruptions, such as population issues, nuclear annihilation, sudden climatic change, rogue comets, ecological changes, etc. That is called the... Uh, the great bottleneck theory, and I'll go into that in a bit after I cover these other two excellent articles that Trey has sent. According to our simulations, for the tail value of some optimistic situations, human beings still have the hope of detecting a SETI signal. Well, I hope so, or why are we investing money into it? So yeah, very interesting, um, and like I say, I will hold my major commentary until we get done with these next two articles. So the next one here, also from Trey, and again, thank you, Trey. This is an interesting one, and this is from Yahoo News. And it says, China says its giant sky-eye telescope may have picked up signals from alien civilizations. And this is from Bill Bostock. It says, uh, there's some bullet points, so I'll read those really quickly. China's science ministry said its giant telescope may have found signals from alien civilizations. It said signals were identified this year by the Sky-Eye Telescope, the world's largest. However, scientists on the program said the new signals could just be radio interference. So it says China scientists say the country's giant Sky-Eye Telescope may have picked up signs of an alien civilization. Researchers with Beijing Normal University found several cases of possible technological traces and extraterrestrial civilizations from outside the Earth. Well... <laughs> One, if they're extraterrestrial, they're from outside the Earth. And two, uh, aren't we looking for things outside the Earth? It's a bit silly the way it's written is all. According to a report published Tuesday in Science and Technology Daily, the official newspaper of the Ministry of Science and Technology, the signals were discovered by China's 500-meter Aperture Spherical Radio Telescope, or FAST, the only giant single-dish radio telescope in the world. It is known informally as Sky Eye, the newspaper said. Cosmologist Zhang Tongzhi, once dubbed China's top alien hunter, said FAST located several narrow-band electromagnetic signals different from the past, the newspaper reported. Zhang has also quoted, was also quoted by the newspaper as saying the new signals could just be radio interference. The possibility that the suspicious signal is some kind of radio interference is also very high, and it needs to be further confirmed and ruled out. This may be a long process, Zhang said. As insiders Asmi Harun previously reported, the FAST telescope, which is located in, in Guizhou province, can detect faint radio waves from pulsars and materials in galaxies far away. The dish was completed in 2016, and the observatory cost $171 million. I'm assuming that's U.S. dollars. As of September 2020, one of the telescope's main functions has been to search for extraterrestrial life. Beijing Normal University is working alongside scientists from the University of California, Berkeley, on the program. To date, those researchers have identified two sets of signals from 2019 when processing data in 2022 and one set of signals this year, Zhang told Science and Technology Daily. Yeah, and, and that's it, folks. So I would assume that very rare would be the occurrence, if it ever happens, that you're listening live and you picked up, you know, like in the movies where you see the guys listening, he's like, wow, because it gets stored and then processed. And so it's when it's processed that they'll actually discover something. I've got no doubt eventually we will, but we shall see. Okay, so one more, and then I'll give you my commentary on all three articles. So this one is also from Trey. Again, thanks, Trey. And this is from Live Science. This one is titled, Four Hostile Alien Civilizations May Lurk in the Milky Way, a new study suggests. And this is from Brandon Spector. Covered articles from him before. That's an unforgettable last name. But, but Earth is 100 times more likely to be destroyed by an asteroid than invaded by aliens. The Milky Way is home to millions of potential habitable planets, and approximately four of them may harbor 
evil alien civilizations that could invade Earth if they, or sorry, would invade Earth if they could. New research posted to the preprint database ARXIV suggests the new paper, which has not yet been peer reviewed, poses a peculiar question. What are the odds that humans could one day contact a hostile alien civilization that's capable of invading our planet? To answer this, sole study author Alberto Caballero, a doctoral student in conflict resolution at the University of Vigo in Spain, began by looking back at human history before looking out at the stars. This paper attempts to provide an estimation of the prevalence of hostile extraterrestrial civilizations through an extrapolation of the probability that we, as the human civilization, would attack or invade an inhabited exoplanet. Caballero wrote in the study. Caballero is not an astrophysicist, but he has published a study on the infamous WOW signal, a potential sign of extraterrestrial life in the peer-reviewed International Journey of Astrobiology. To review his est- or sorry, to reach his estimation, Caballero first counted the number of countries that have invaded other countries between 1915 and 2022. Yeah, that'd be a decent amount. He found that a total of 51 of the world's 195 nations had launched some sort of invasion during that period, so a quarter in the last 100-plus years. Yeah, not shocking. The U.S. sat at the top of the list, with 14 invasions tallied in that time. Then he weighed each country's probability of launching an invasion based on the country's percentage of the global military expenditure. Again, the U.S. came out top, with 38% of the global military spending. Again, you've heard me go on about the military-industrial complex, folks. Think of that. 40% of the entire world's military spending by the U.S. And that is, like, announced. That's not black budget money. That is the announced military spending. I would argue it's a lot higher than that. From there, Caballero added each country's individual probability of instigating an invasion then divided the sum by the total number of countries on Earth, ending up with what he describes as the current human probability of invasion of an extraterrestrial civilization. According to this model, the current odds of humans invading another inhabited planet are 0.028%. However, Caballero wrote, that probability refers to the current state of human civilization. Exactly what I was going to say. And humans aren't currently capable of interstellar travel. If current rates of technological advancement hold, the interstellar travel wouldn't be possible for another 259 years, Caballero calculated using the Kardashev scale, a system that categorizes how advanced a civilization is based on its energy expenditure. Again, we've covered the Kardashev scale in the past. I had an excellent little blurb on it from Michu Akaku on the episode with Russ from Hangar 18 Radio, if you wanted to find out exactly what that is, you can find that. You can find the audiogram on Instagram and or just search Kardashev scale. Assuming the frequency of human invasions continues to decline over the time at the same rate that invasions have declined over the past 50 years, an average of minus 1.15 per year, according to Caballero's paper, then the human race has a 0.0014% probability of invading another planet when we potentially become an interstellar or type 1 civilization 259 years from now. That may sound like very slim odds, and it is, until you start multiplying it by the millions of potentially habitable planets in the Milky Way. For his final calculation, Caballero turned to a 2012 paper published in the journal Mathematical SETI, in which researchers predicted that as many as 15,785 Alien civilizations could theoretically share the galaxy with humans. Okay, that seems like a low number compared to the article we covered two ago. Plus, again, that's alien civilizations. That's not necessarily intelligent, you know, like full-blown at our level or higher civilizations. Again, I definitely believe they're out there. Let's not get caught up in the numbers, meaning me. Caballero concluded that less than one of the Type 1 civilizations, 0.22 to be precise, would be hostile towards humans who make contact. However, the number of malicious neighbors increased to 4.42 when accounting for civilizations that, like modern humans, are not yet capable of interstellar travel, Caballero told Vice News. 
I don't mention the 4.42 civilizations in my paper because, one, we don't know whether all the civilizations in the galaxy are like us, and two, a civilization like us would probably not pose a threat to another, one, since we don't have the technology to travel to their planet, Caballero told Vice. <laughs> More on that at the end, folks. We're nearly there. Four hostile alien powers doesn't seem like a lot to worry about. Furthermore, the probability that humans might contact one of these malicious civilizations and then be invaded by them is vanquishingly small, Caballero added. The probability of extraterrestrial invasion by a civilization whose planet we message is around two orders of magnitude lower than the probability of a planet-killer asteroid collision, he wrote in his paper, adding that planet-killer asteroids, like the one that doomed the dinosaurs, are one in 100 million year events. Again, you can always have it happen more often, all right? It might happen one in 100 million years, but over 500 million years, for example, you might have all five happen in 20 million years. You just don't know. Though Caballero's study poses an interesting thought experiment, the author admits his model has limitations. The invasion probability is based on a very narrow slice of human history, which is true, and it makes many assumptions about the future development of our species. The model also presumes that alien intelligence will have brain compositions, values, and senses of empathy similar to those of humans, which may simply not be the case. Again, that's one of the points I was going to make at the end. I did the paper based only on life as we know it, he said. We don't know the mind of extraterrestrials. Exactly. And we can't know the mind of extraterrestrials. And by the looks of things, it'll be at least a few hundred more years until we do so. Okay, so Trey, excellent series of articles. Thank you. So, all right, folks, number one, the last point that he made, which I fully agree with. There are arguments, and you can read the different studies on it, that intelligent life, wherever it is in the universe or galaxy or whatever, will evolve to be what humans are. Two eyes, two legs, two arms, because it is, what was, what's the term? Efficient, right? Now, binocular eyes, at least, so two eyes or more, I do agree, is definitely a big plus over single eye vision. But as far as two legs, two arms, who knows? We don't know that life out there will evolve with a oxygen-based blood and a, what was the other one? The, um, sorry, folks, I'm, I'm just struggling to think of it. Oh, carbon-based life. That's what I was thinking of. Okay, that's the one. So we don't know that life everywhere that evolves, if there is life elsewhere, which I'm just about certain that there must be something out there, that all life will be carbon-based. There's theories that go back hundreds of years, well, not hundreds, but at least decades of there being silicon-based life or other types of a life base. And I fully agree with it. I mean, even here on Earth, you've got things like octopuses and other creatures, octopi, I should say, that have copper-based blood instead of iron-based blood, right? So that's just one very little difference. And I was actually explaining this to Vi the other night when she was asking me about some of this stuff. The reality is that we have more in common with the bacteria on Earth than we probably will have with any alien civilization. With the caveat that, let's say, we and that alien civilization share a genetic forefather or they seeded us, etc., but if they truly evolve separately on a separate planet or a separate place in space without the inputs that we had on Earth, the odds are they are probably going to be significantly different from us, more so than we are from other terrestrial entities here on Earth. Okay, that's so that's the first thing that I wanted to say. So, yeah. Going and extrapolating things by humanity's standards is, it's hard because things out there could be much more hostile. They could be much less hostile. We talk about our warlike ways, which humans are very warlike, but 
Who knows what's out there in the galaxy, in the universe? They could be much more warlike than us. They could be much less. We, we just don't know. And we won't know until we start experiencing them. Now, on that point, there is a very pessimistic outlook on the universe in general, but I think it's very warranted. There's a series of books written by a gentleman from China, and I'm not going to butcher his name. I can't remember what they are now. But if you want to know what these books are, the series has been called, there's three books, and then, so I believe he wrote three, and then there's like a fan fiction type book, or it could be two in a fan fiction type book, but I think it's three and one. And this is called, you can call it um, Remembrances of Earth's Past is the actual, I believe, the official title for the trilogy, but it's also called the Trisolarian Trilogy. And there's a few other names for it. But if you just search Trisolarian or Threefold, the Threefold Problem, you will come across these books. Look, check them out if you haven't and you're interested in this stuff at all. It's postulated in this story. Now, the, the author being Chinese may have part to do with this. But uh, a civilization elsewhere, which is about four light years away from us, is discovered by a scientist at a Chinese um, listening post, a uh, radio telescope. They discover life, and they've been beaming out this signal saying, hey, we're here, we're Earth, blah, 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 we're the Chinese, you know what, you know what I'm saying? As I'm sure the U.S. and everyone else would beam out their own version of events. And she gets a reply after so many years. And the reply is basically, don't transmit, stay quiet. My civilization is very hostile. If you don't say anything, they won't be able to find out where you're from. Do not reply, do not reply, do not reply. And this lady being rather jaded, having had a very hard life, lived through the Cultural Revolution and everything else, basically replies and says, come, Earth's effed up. We can't get things under control, so the only way we can is if you come here and help us. So she basically quote-unquote dooms humanity to an invasion from this planet, um, which has three suns, right? So that's why it's called Trisolarin. And basically, as you listen through these different books, right, it is, you get the Dark Forest theory, which is that the universe is a dark forest. And what that is, is as soon as a civilization pops its head up and says, hey, we're here, there's hunters with bows that will basically shoot them, right? So again, this is a metaphor, all right? But basically what it explains is that if you are a civilization and someone pops up on your radar and says, hey, we're here, we're here, there are two possibilities. One possibility is that they have lesser technology than you. The other possibility is that they have greater technology than you. Now, either way, they're a threat. Because if they have a greater technology than you, the odds are they will dominate you. If they have a lesser technology than you, there's a very good chance that they may eventually overtake you. So what this dark forest theory boils down to is Rather than exploring or contacting these entities and letting them know, A, that you're there, but also letting other things in the universe, other civilizations know that you exist in your coordinates, rather than giving it away, the most efficient way to solve the problem is to basically destroy any civilization you come across. So it's basically saying that any civilization that is at a high enough level, rather than going and exploring and coming back and saying, who are you and what do you want? And blah, 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 blah. The safest, most prudent way of solving any issues is basically whacking them when you find them. So they basically say that if you're dumb enough as a civilization to say, here we are, you're going to get whacked, right? And I, I thought it was a really good, well-written series of books. It seems extremely negative. 
But who knows? Who knows what's out there? And we can't know. Again, we can't know how alien species are going to be. But it's a fascinating series of books. And I think, for me personally, it's one of the better, fairly recent sci-fi series out there. So again, if you want to understand that, it's called, just look up or, you know, Google whatever, Trisolaris or The Threefold Problem. Very interesting and a fascinating way to look at it. I have of a long time, I've had an opinion of a long time that maybe we shouldn't be bantering around to the universe in general that we're here and giving people our coordinates and everything else. I personally think we've got more to lose than we do to gain. If there's something out there that does things like this, it's over. Like, it's basically over. And that's the whole thing in this story is that it's going to take, I think, about 400 years for them to get here. So people are kind of living it up for today and going, oh, well, when there is a battle, it'll be our progeny's issue in the future. But yeah, um, fascinating series of articles. And thanks, Trey, for that. And it just really gets the old brain ticking and makes you think about all of this stuff. So, yeah, man, thanks for that. I appreciate it. So, folks, we don't want to go out on a super negative note. So here's something it's uh, also got to do with potential alien civilizations, but just a bit more interesting and a bit less gloomy, a bit less of JT's doom and gloom. So this is from coasttocoastam.com. And there's a video here if you want to check it out. And it says UFO spotted over Buckingham Palace during the Queen's Jubilee Parade. And there's a YouTube video here, which I have watched in advance of this. And it says, Television viewers watching coverage of Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee festivities were left scratching their heads at the appearance of an inexplicable white orb that mysteriously zipped through the sky over Buckingham Palace. The puzzling UFO sighting reportedly occurred last Thursday, so the Thursday before this. So I think it's beginning of June, because I think the Queen's birthday, the observed Queen's birthday, I think is the first of June off the top of my head, because we have it here. It's a public holiday. Normally I would know, but as I'm not working, I don't remember what day it was. I know it was on a Monday. Sorry. So the puzzling UFO sighting reportedly occurred last Thursday as the UK kicked off its four-day-long celebration of the Queen's 70th year as monarch by way of a ceremonial parade wherein as part of the event, nine Royal Air Force jets took to the sky and dispersed long streams of red, white, and blue smoke. As the colorful flypast unfolded, many people watching from home found their attention drawn to a peculiar aerial interloper that was apparently not part of the show. As seen in the video above, so there's again there's a link to the YouTube video embedded, the curious UFO appeared out of nowhere and seemed to fly through the sky across the colored streams of smoke left behind by the royal aircraft. Attentive TV viewers quickly noted the odd object, and a clip showing the mystifying moment spread like wildfire on social media, with many wondering what exactly the anomaly might have been. Given the historic nature of the weekend's events, some have suggested that perhaps the UFO was an alien craft making an appearance over Buckingham Palace as some sort of interstellar salute to the Queen's epic seven decades upon the throne. Meanwhile, skeptical-minded viewers have, a, have, of course, offered a more prosaic explanation of the UFO, suggesting that it was a stationary object that appeared to be moving due to what is known as the parallax effect. Should that be the case, while it is uncertain exactly where the anomaly was, or sorry, what the anomaly was, it's possible that the orb was simply an errant balloon, giving the celebratory nature of the event. With that in mind, what's your take on the proverbial Jubilee UFO? Was it a representative from an extraterrestrial race passing over the parade or simply an unidentified festive object? Okay, here's my very brief thoughts on this. I watched the video. Yes, it's an orb of some type. The way that I saw it, it looked like it was emitting its own light rather than reflecting light. Now, maybe I've got that wrong. That's the take that I got. It is interesting, and why I say that is, these big events, be they presidential inaugurations, things like this, oftentimes even at concerts and that, it does make you wonder, Is so it's kind of that chicken or the egg thing. Is it that these things are so in the air, like they're out there all the time, 
if you point a camera up that when they film big things like this, like the presidential inauguration or the Queen's Jubilee, do they get captured or are these objects, whatever they are, monitoring these celebrations? And it could be either either. It could be both. Uh, I do tend to believe that whatever it is in the atmosphere, and again, I think there is a laundry list of potential things, and many of them are mundane, and that less than 5% of the overall sightings are actually something in the other category. I do think that it happens enough that there are probably more things out there, more sightings that would occur if we were constantly monitoring the skies. Again, that's just my little thoughts on it. But anyway, I've got my issues with the royalty, but still 70 years in one job is too much for anyone. So the queen should retire and have a break. She's in her 90s now. She's now a widow. So I think she's earned a rest. Whatever else I may think about the institution and the powerful elite, I think she should just hang it up. But um, I think things will change very much, whether they just be window dressing or whether it's an actual institutional change. I think once the queen is gone off the throne, whether she uh, abdicates a bit sooner or whether she passes away while she's still the queen, I do think there will be big changes in store when it's actually her time to go. So, folks, I do hope that you've enjoyed these articles. I can't tell you when I'll be next on the air. I can't tell you when I'll get the Betty and Barney Hill out. But I wanted to get this up and out for you. I do hope that you enjoy these. A couple other real quick notes. I was on a program a while back, and I haven't got a chance to post anything about it. So my friend Al from Ghosts in the Valley, I was on his program for around an hour, I want to say, maybe 90 minutes. So that's just Ghost in the Valley. Uh, I will try and get a link in the show notes of this episode for you. And also to everyone in the U.S., not sure about the UK, but we don't celebrate it in June down here because it's winter. But happy Father's Day to everyone who is a father or has had their loved one pass. I mean, I think our fathers, no matter what, whether you're the father or you had a father that you remember, or a father figure, I think it is important to everyone. And I made sure to wish everyone a happy Mother's Day. Sorry, I'm a bit late with the Father's Day, but I do hope that all of you stay safe. And until next time, my friends, take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you as soon as I can.